This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza. Joining me to discuss the precursor, the fallout, and what follows is Chris Anderson. Chris, we did not talk too long ago about what we expect and what has ultimately arrived here. It maybe took a little bit longer than expected. Not so long that it looks disorganized and confused, but Bob Huggins put the school in a position that it was left with no other choice than this. That's the best way to put it, because ultimately, you know, it's going to come to hey, the school, you know, pushed Bob Huggins out, fired him, however everybody wants to try to phrase this, but the only person who has made it so that Bob Huggins is not no longer head coach at WVU is Bob Huggins because as these were his decisions, West Virginia tried their best to give him another chance, give him another chance. And he just couldn't, you know, reward WVU with his best behavior. And, and ultimately that's what led to, you know, him being out as head coach at WVU now. So it, it was, it was him. It was not WVU's decision, regardless of how it's phrased and whatnot right now. Yeah. Glad you said that. The, adjectives, the nouns, whatever you want to call it, really don't matter because it gets to the core of what you just said there. I've been thinking about this, been thinking about a lot of things for the past several hours about this whole situation. And I, as a sports writer, just never feel comfortable suggesting that somebody has to be fired, has to go, can't keep him, whatever. Um, sometimes I think somebody's got to go when there's a mistake or a series of mistakes, and this maybe qualifies for that. But during the football season, I kind of wrote that I did think this was the end for Neil Brown in that he made the hard part easy with the style of the losses and how one-sided they were and how the season seemed to be getting away from him and wasn't advocating for his termination. And ultimately, that didn't happen. But it just seemed to me that all the reasons you could extend to someone like Neil Brown to give him more time, to give him extra opportunities, had been squandered. And it's hard to fire a coach, especially someone who was as nice as Brown and has all the good intentions and plans and sometimes execution and it just doesn't work and it's hard to fire him but sometimes the coach makes it easy and when the product in the field and the final scores and the competitiveness do not match up with what you want to have happen the hard part's easy it would be really really hard in most situations to fire bob huggins to accept his resignation to move on and not have him as your coach we've seen them extend his contract different times and in different formats because he's bob huggins and he means so much to the school or has meant so much to the legacy, the tradition, the trajectory of the program that you don't want to think about, never mind live in a world where he's not your head coach. Except he made the hard part easy here. And ultimately it comes down to what you just said. Here's a guy who made a big mistake just outside of a month ago. 
was given certain conditions to meet upon his return, but also told that any slip-up in the future could result in his termination. And that should have been a lot harder than it was. And again, just six weeks later now, we're in a situation where the sun has set on his career and West Virginia is forced to go into a really awkward transition right now that we can begin to get into because, well, Chris, where do we begin with the conversation of where do we begin? I think we begin kind of where we ended the last podcast you and I spoke. And I said, maybe we'll get into more detail about it here because the timing of all this, it kind of forces a, hey, interim tag. But I asked you, is an interim one-year-only kind of floater the only option for West Virginia at this point in the calendar? You said no. So I'd love to discuss that because I I just it's I'm hard pressed right now to find a lot of good answers for West Virginia given the 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 timing and the situation and quite frankly a couple of the guys that everybody would love to say and love to point to have kind of fallen by the wayside as options right now. Yeah, let me back up a little bit because it's a good question and it's a great conversation point. But just to to step back, maybe step up climb a ladder so you can look over everything here. It's a fascinating time in the offseason. You still got some time before the season starts. And West Virginia, just to, I guess, conceptualize this a little bit, they're supposed to go to Italy for an exhibition tour in August. That's a nice runway for a veteran coach or a first-year coach or even an interim coach. And there were 59 Division One head coaching changes. The latest was in May, May 2nd. I have my timeline here. So it's been about a month and a half since the last coaching change. Now, does that mean you can't make a coaching change? No. But you figure a lot of people are comfortable and content where they are right now. Maybe people who just took new jobs are not leaving. You would say, I don't know, Grant McCaslin, for example. Could he be plucked from Texas Tech? That seems unlikely. But then could any sitting head coach right now be convinced to leave his job to come coach West Virginia. Instinctively, you might say, no, it's too close to the season. But then you look at this roster. It's a power five job that has really good resources. They spend a lot per player on the team. Um, great NIL infrastructure, as we've seen. A lot of pieces in place that could be kept if the new coach chose to do so. And it's not a bad spot. And again, also, you can accelerate the development of this program with that trip in August. But also, it's just such a weird situation. Imagine replacing Bob Huggins with a senior laden roster, a transfer laden roster that, you know, might not be here before, during and after the season. Who knows? Just when change happens, it's very unpredictable. Kids, college athletes are volatile. We don't know how they're going to react to the who or the what happens now. So could they get somebody in now? It's a fascinating question. Where do they look and where do they land? Do they try to get a sitting power five head coach, a sitting high major coach? Power five doesn't really apply to college basketball, but you could say high major. There's more than five high major conferences, I think. Maybe yes, maybe no. Can they spend a lot? They're not going to have to pay Huggins to go away. There's no termination fee for this one here. So they have some money to spend. Or, Chris, do they say, you know what? The unknowns that we just can't really solve right now, we can address them all in March. And let's put an interim in place. Let's put a caretaker in place. Let's do a Jim Grobe at Baylor thing. Let's make Josh Allard the interim coach for the one year. I don't know. Let's do that and see what this year generates. And then let's go fishing in March and see what happens. Um, 
The trouble is, who knows how busy Rem Baker is going to be in, I don't know, November, December, and then get back on it again while overseeing basketball. And, and is that timeline too crunch? I don't know. I do think they can get somebody. Um, and I, I think that you could find an ambitious and aspirational group of five head coach who would not mind the timeline and the challenges that come with this and who would understand that his transition to a major program in the best conference in America is going to be a little bit more forgiving given the situation that he enters. I think that would be welcoming and inviting for someone who just is going to take a huge leap into the power five into the big 12, but also knows that he's got a good roster and it's going to be very different next year too. So you really have to extend a new coach, a lot of leeway, which may make that more inviting for some people. Okay. I'm glad you went where you did because I'd like to kind of, I guess not preface since I'm saying it after I've already kind of said it, but my point about what are the options here? Is it only a one year um, interim kind of look? Let's say, and let's be clear. And I want to be clear and you correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but the idea that West Virginia can't afford to go out and get a top name coach. That's gone. Like that's, that's bull. If you will, like, that's just not true. I mean, Bob Huggins was, I'm looking at this uh, list from USA Today, the number nine highest paid head coach in the entire country this past season. Um, that was before the $1 million salary reduction. Uh, but And West Virginia has gone out and effectively used their NIL uh, situation to bring in top recruits. They have effectively passed the hat, if you will, to solicit donations for major upgrades around the program. I get that the argument might be that was Huggins-centric. That was because of Huggins. But I think we could say that if you put the full force, if you were an athletic director and you put the full force of you know, going out and getting a big-time name, a name that fits, something that can excite people, money is not or should not be an issue for what how many teams are there? 330 some like 325 out of 330 teams or or possible coaches to pull away from other teams so i think we're we're back to focusing on the timing and i think money the situation the conference uh the facilities all of that stuff should be enough to kind of convince any head coach that might be at another you know decent spot to say you know what it's a that's a pretty sweet gig over there and like you said, Mike, all of that, hey, you got to win in you know, year two, year three. I think I'm going to use one of your favorite terms, 23-24 for whoever is coaching, if it's not an interim coach, is year zero. So they know they have some extra time, extra leeway, like you said. So I think there is an opportunity here, despite my you know initial beliefs that this could be an interim situation, that they could really get a big-time name or a real big-time talent at head coach. Damn you, Chris, you're zero. Okay. I'm, gl I'm glad that's what upset you, and it wasn't you ready to just shoot my argument out of the air. Or are no. you about to do that now? I, th I think you're right on that one. I'm not sure that West Virginia needs to pay a top 10 salary. They had a top 10 salary coach, a top 10 coach for sure. I don't think you could argue that. 16 years, um, winning as active coach, number three all time, that comes with a price tag. And the fact that he's your your I don't know one of your Rushmore guys at the school um yeah that that comes with the price tag I don't know that they have to match dollar for dollar that said I don't think they're they're gonna go for like 
uh, a Mac coach just because they can't afford an ACC coach, for example, not to denigrate the Mac, but there's obviously a difference in the profile of a head coach who's sitting in a chair right now in, in for example, the ACC. Uh, I'm not hinting anything here. I'm just speaking in, in terms of conferences and somebody who's going to come cheaper because he's in the Mac. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to go get Jerry Calhoun because he makes like 330 grand at Youngstown State and he's a bargain. They might get Jerry Calhoun because he could be a good coach and he knows the situation here. He's been very good with the transfer portal. Perhaps he can handle the situation he comes to here. But they're going to hire him on his his bona fides and not the fact that he comes on the cheap. Now, will they go out and say, you know what, we can spend four and a half million dollars on a coach. We're only going to go for coaches who seek to make four and a half million. I don't think so either. I'm not sure that's the best thing for them to do. They're going to have to have, they're got to peek through the keyhole, Chris, and and have a very refined focus and, and know exactly where they're going to look and what they're going to look for because the situation is going to be kind of unique for sure if they do this right now. Um, whereas again, the scope can widen a little bit if they do this in March. Um, the trouble is the financial situation for the university is tough. And if they do move on from Neil Brown during and after the season, that comes with a big price tag, which could crunch the amount of money that's available for basketball. So a lot of questions there as to what they do, but I do think that they can spend, they don't have to spend, but they certainly don't have to go on the cheap either. Let's talk about the one-year fixes. Um, I don't want to go too into too many of the names and the possibilities. We have a hot board up right now. You're welcome, Chris. But there are some names and more likely possibilities that I think we can talk about here. And one concept that I think is going to be at least considered and talked about early, I don't know this is what West Virginia will act upon, but the idea of a caretaker, a babysitter, as I said, a Jim Grobe at Baylor in 2016, where you move on from your coach for one reason or another, before the start of the season, and rather than shoehorn someone or somebody in that does not fit but is just available, um, you know, that's it's not parcels where availability is your best ability here. This is something different. you got to have a coach who can make this work. So maybe you can't find him right now, and again, you choose us to do it in the offseason. So you Jim Grobe it for a year and hope for the best. That comes with some risks, though, most notably being you're telling everybody you only have to listen to this guy for one year, which means you only have to listen to this guy for as long as your postseason dreams are at their optimal point. And as soon as they're not, you tune the guy out. That's what happens. It's inevitable. That's why people don't like this. Could, Chris, they go this one-year caretaker route with a capital G guy? Could they find someone who says, you know what, I'll do it for a year. I only want to do it for a year. And people will listen to me and I'll succeed because, man, this roster looks pretty, pretty promising. And how big can you make the capital G? I think is what you're getting at. Because your your point about guys just tuning tuning coaches out, if things go south, like that could never be more true than it is than it is with basketball. And I think um, a lot of these guys, when you're trying to piece together a lot of one year guys, two year guys, transfer guys, and then you lose the guy that brought them in, it, you know you are going to be battling from day one to try to keep their attention. So I do think it's possible if you can get a guy that is so overwhelmingly you know a name capital n name capital g guy maybe yes no oh. but like i mean i'm talking and this might be cherry picking at least one of the names off your list like i mean we're talking like again we're talking long shots here on some of these guys that are being that are being mentioned but you're talking like jay wright walking into the room with a big fat national championship ring on his finger, you know, having to command that kind of respect or Joe Mazzulla coming back from the NBA ranks. Again, 
I just please, for the love of God, if another person sends me a message saying there's no chance that Joe Missoula is head coach, I'm going to rip my hair out. I got it. Like, I got it. But the what, what's the cost of a phone call? $0.00 to make a phone call and for him to just say no? Okay, cool. That's good. So, but it's going to take that kind of, you know, clout, national championship ring, NBA stuff, something like that to kind of keep their attention. And I think your options on that are pretty limited, but it is possible. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's intriguing too, but you got to get the right guy who's got, like you said, got cachet, who's got some hardware on his hands. So like Bob McKillop, great teacher, New York City guy, Chris, you know how West Virginia loves those. I don't think that he's making anybody lean in in the first meeting in, in October. Um, Jay Wright, yeah, I think that would do it. And there, But here's the thing, there's a, a small list of them um, and they, they've gotten away from it because they don't want to deal with it anymore. Now, the thing is, what's pushed away a coach here and a coach there is recruiting the transfer portal and they wouldn't have to do that for a year. And just to be honest with you, like look at the way Bob Huggins has had delegated a little bit. He'd put Jay Coons in charge of the transfer portal, made him the director of recruiting. Huggins didn't travel a whole lot for recruiting, ironically. Um, just didn't like it very much and didn't need to be out going out and doing this and this and this. He's almost 70 years old. He'll be 70 in September. So, yeah, after a while, it takes a toll on you. So you get young assistants who can do that, and they were starting to move toward that, and you saw DeMar Johnson doing a lot more in the high school recruiting realm because he was new, he's young and energetic, I had the connections, and then it's just hard to get head coaches to do that now and to want to do that. But getting someone to walk back into it for just one year, that might be more inviting. Um, and there's a small list of people. We mentioned a couple of them in our hot board. There might be more. There might be fewer. That three might not even be the ones that would be interested. There might be none. We'll see. The other possibility for a one-year thing would be a person on staff. The assistant coaches are Johnson, Ron Everhart, Josh Eilert. I have a hard time thinking it would be DeMar Johnson right now just because he's only been here for a few months, and this is his first coaching position. Ron Everhart has been a head coach at McNee State, Northeastern, and Duquesne. Josh Eilert has been here since day one with Bob Huggins. In fact, he was with Huggins at Kansas State for the final year, maybe two. No, no, the one year he was at Kansas State. I think Josh might have been there for two years, but he was there with Huggins for one. That was the one only year Huggins was there. Been the director of operations, been the video coordinator. He has risen the ladder. He's become a trusted assistant, really good in the transfer portal. And when given the opportunities recruiting, the folks I talked to, Chris, say that he would be the better pick of him and Everhart right now. Everhart might be more logical because of his head coaching experience, but that Islet would probably be the one that would be most popular among decision makers, decision thinkers, I guess, but also players. 
And then you just see if he can get a dump for, I don't know, one year. And all of a sudden, hey, if they go to the Sweet 16 or they win the Big 12 and lose in the first weekend of the tournament, whatever. But you judge him upon the end of the season. Maybe you say he's interim with a chance to come back. I doubt you would gloss him interim for just one year. But that's an option, too. An internal replacement. Promote Alex Ruoff to the active staff and see what happens. I think that's something that they may actually consider as well. If they choose not to go out and farm this out and try to find somebody right now. Interesting, because I, I was thinking when we were discussing this about potential, you know, guys that could step in for a year. And I, I mean, let's be honest, when you think of some stuff like that, you're thinking an older guy, an older guy, more experienced guy. And I think, you know, maybe even a few years ago, it might have been one of those situations where, you you say, hey, Billy Hahn, who was on the back seat there, step in, do something, or maybe you have Ron Everhart do it. Um, maybe you have uh, Eric Martin do it. Um, and now just the way that the kind of coaching staff has changed and the guys in the room have changed, it's gotten younger, which has been great for recruiting, but kind of eliminated that option for guys that are, you know, hey, this is a one-year thing. Because even those younger guys, they, they'll take that, they'll jump at that opportunity, but they might want something more long-term but I, I agree with you i think you know my first thought was hey what about everhart because of his head coaching experience because he's older and you know we've i don't say openly discussed but i know it's been discussed uh of him kind of getting close to calling it a career at some point in the near future and what if it's hey just just one year here at wvu and then you can ride off in the sunset try to lead this team to it but you know maybe like you said maybe the answer is Eilert. maybe like there there are some options there for WVU. Let's go into the other possibilities here, too. Um, in March, let's say they do this in March. They go the interim thing, whether it's the babysitter or it's just we're going to let Eilert or Everhard do it for one year. Where do they aim? Where do you think Rem Baker goes here? Because he's the wild card as well. We don't know what he can do. He's never been a Power 5 AD. Uh, one hire as the AD at North Texas was exceptional with Grant McCaslin. But... This is new. This is different. He can probably be a little bit more bold in his thinking and spending. Is West Virginia a place that could hire a sitting major conference head coach? Do they have to, air quotes here, settle for a sitting group of five head coach? And then do you want to entrust the future of this program with an assistant coach who has not had any experience or successful experience at the head of a bench? think long term and this might be tough it, it, man this is a this is not an ideal situation let's let's you know pretty clear about that because if you can keep this team together and you can get a one-year guy say one of these assistant coaches or somebody you pull off the bench pull off the tv bench to come back and just run it for one season and then you can conduct a full and complete search for the best head coach you can get. I think that's the 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 best scenario for WVU. I just don't know if that's likely because you're having to hit a lot of different notes here. You're going to have to hit on that assistant coach. You're going to have to hit on these uh, players that are currently on the team staying on the team. You're going to have to hit on this being a successful season, hit on it not being distracted by, say, a football coaching search later in the process. 
hit on making that hire for the basketball team later in the process. So you're really having to go in that scenario like five for five on things. And that's going to be very difficult. Although I do believe if you could pull it off, that's the best case scenario for WVU short and long term. Um, going out and getting the big name right now, I said I said money shouldn't be an issue uh, for WVU. For again, for like 325 out of 330 possible head coaches, you're pulling from somewhere. The question is, why would guys leave at this point? I know WVU. I, I, we laid out why it might be a you know a place that some coaches maybe even go so far as to covet at this point. But I, I truly think the guys that might actually leave at this point in the calendar are going to be, what's the term, like like flawed. Like they're not going to be perfect candidates. There's a reason they're ready and willing to leave right now as far as like the big top of the uh, high major conference. Like if you go that route would be concerned. And if you're not, then you're going for a guy that's from a lower rank and then they're improving. So again, a lot of these options now would be flawed. So if you could get it to work out with an assistant coach, get through the season, keep this team together, make a little run, a little something you just remember for the program to remember the fans remember, and then you go out and get a, a long-term coach. That's the best case scenario. Counterpoint. If you really like, if you're Ren Baker and you've had a list, and I really hope that in the past six weeks he's put together a list just because he had to have been thinking about it. But I also think he's such that he probably came into this job thinking, I want to keep an eye on these three to seven names over the next, I don't know, one to three years. And if I need one, I want to know where this person stands. And so he's constantly curating it. If he, for example, really likes Bob Ritchie at Furman, if he really likes Jared Grasso at Bryant, if he really likes Speedy Claxton at Hofstra, guys like that, right? Do you do it now and maybe overspend rather than having to wait until March next year when maybe other jobs come available? Like, would you would you risk a guy that you really like going through the car wash next year and, and you get into a bidding war between one, two, three other schools who are major conference programs and have an opening? Um, or would you be compelled to be like, you know what? I like this guy. I'm going to like him in nine months from now. Let's get it done. I think that could be something that really pushes us over the, over this, uh, over the end line, I guess, since we're talking basketball um, and, and makes it a situation where they actually do put a coach in place. It might be harder in the power five. Those jobs are hard to get and, and maybe, maybe sometimes don't make sense to risk. But if you are a group of five, a, a low major, mid-major coach, you jump on those opportunities a lot more eagerly at this point on a calendar. And if you are Ren Baker and you got your list and you're like, you know, I really like this guy. Let me see if I can get it done. I'd much rather do it now. Maybe at a discount, maybe at a, a slight increase. I'm not sure relative to what the conditions would be in March. Um, I think that might be a powerful variable to consider there too. The other one, yeah, go ahead. All right. How much are you, if you're athletic director, you're Ren Baker. How much are you factoring in whatever decision you make? How much are you factoring in the ability to keep the current roster together? Or do you even take that into account and know that this is like a long, long game? It's huge for one. I just, um, so looking at this now, when we spoke in the last podcast, you did bring up a very good well, actually, which was a well, actually, Mike, you know, they, there really aren't that many flight risks. We'll see. We'll see what happens. If they hire if they hire me, Chris, 
pretty sure Jesse Edwards and Raekwon Battle and Kirk Risa can go into the portal. I think I can keep Omar Severio, but that's just me. But I'm pretty sure these guys are going to go if they hire someone that isn't to their liking. They're going to try. They're going to think about it. If not, they're probably going to pout and be upset at least for a while until they start winning games. And if those wins don't happen, then who knows where the morale is individually and collectively. So they got to get the right person. Um, I would hope that they bring in the players and maybe even like an Eilert and a Johnson and an Everhart and certainly a Jay Koontz in the conversation. Think of how important Jay Koontz is right now, too. A lot of these guys, when you interview them the first time or when you interview them in the um, recruiting process, they go on and on about Jay and his role in getting them there. And, you know, a lot of people have talked about the success he's had this offseason, too. That's a person you want to keep around, too. Would a new coach have a need, a want, a place for Jay Koontz? We'll see. Um, so there's there's a lot you got to consider there, too. But I, I think, yeah, to your question, you really have to keep that roster intact, too. So style of play may be one thing. Yeah, if you got a guy who likes to play four out, five out, well, then what does Jesse Edwards think? If you got guys who want to be big and play double barrel bigs or like to go from the wing in, um, you know, what are your three guard combinations think? So that stuff's really tricky right now. The thing is that West Virginia has built such a diverse roster that can ask and answer so many questions that that might not be an issue or it might be an issue no matter what you do. So it's going to take an adept hand to do this. There's going to be a lot of nuance in however the coach is picked and then also addresses the roster the first time too. I think that's something they really got to do. The other thing is that, let's see here, Creasa, possibly Battle, Wilson, Kobe Johnson, Harris, Wagi, Okonkwo, all have eligibility left too. And they want to be portal successful again. They also want to get one, two high school players in too. So there's a chance to have some continuity. But also, you'd like to have a coach who's successful this first year can get the portal and also some high school players too. And, and they've really made you know a pretty favorable start with you know next year guys and two years from now guys too. And that progress, it's not so long down the road that you would just waste time and squander that. But still, you got some momentum with some high, high value targets that you don't want to completely obliterate that progress by just starting from scratch too. There's a whole lot to consider. It's a good question with a loaded answer. I don't think I probably encapsulated the, the, the best, but short answer. Yeah. Like you really have to consider the present and future roster with your next coach too. You touched on it uh, a couple of minutes ago. You have to have a, a list after, I mean, I know your boy Shane Lyons told you he always has a list of potential replacements. If you're Ren Baker, if you don't already have a list, like at all times, you had to have had a list after the Cincinnati radio instance, right? Better. If not, then probably Gordon Gee needs to have a list. Yes. It's just incumbent upon your AD to like start taking care of the house at that point, I think. Yeah. And that that's, as I say, this is something that I'm assuming and we know what happens when you assume, but I'm assuming they were not prepared for it. Nobody's prepared for that kind of information, you know, that kind of what happened with Bob Huggins in Pittsburgh. But if something happened, they should have, and I'm assuming did have a list of options and are prepared to expedite this process within reason. You'd hope so. Does the timetable the calendar, does that 
exclude you from, from some conversations. I don't know yet, too. And just to go over the profile here, too, of what it might look like, Grant McCaslin, again, very successful at North Texas, uh, 135 and 65. And that was in six years. So you're talking a number of wins every year, in excess of 20 every year. Um, that's pretty good, good if, you're, if you're an AD. But how they get it? He was a head coach for one year before that, Chris, um, at Arkansas State. So somewhat of a parallel move. 16-17 season at Arkansas State, then six years in North Texas. An assistant at Baylor from 2011 to 16. But a really, really, really successful junior college coach in Texas. So where was Baker's eye at that time? Was he watching Baylor basketball? No. Um, was he watching just Arkansas State games? No. He probably had known about this guy for a while or at least had his he had his ears open when people were whispering to him as an AD or a deputy AD at different stops, Memphis, Missouri, then he's AD at North Texas. Hey, who should I be looking at? I'm building a list, you know, for maybe one day I'm in the chair. What do I do? And you probably look at Grant McCaslin. And he did and got a number of good years out of that. I think that's going to be a big one there to keep an eye on. Not McCaslin. But Baker and where he looks and, and what he considers. Sitting head coach, I think that's likely, or an assistant coach who's been successful. Why is not an assistant coach on a bench right now? I don't know. But again, even like like we said, there's a group of five coaches that may move right now. I think you could find some some major assistant coaches who would think about making that move right now if they have some head coaching experience there too. Baker's a wild card. Um wild card's not even the right word. Just an unknown to us because we haven't seen him operate. We've seen him fit in about six years of experience into six months. That's fun. Um, we're learning more about him faster than we may be expected, but we just don't know this particular one yet. The cards are on the table. Got to flip it over and see what's there. I don't know what to expect, though. Do you have a feel for where he might look, how he might vet candidates? I honestly don't. Again, we haven't seen it. He, yeah. He's had kind of very little experience with it at the Division One level, period. Um, I, th I think I'll say this. I don't know where he's going to go with this, but I do think we're going to get a picture of it or a sense of it sooner rather than later. Uh, not just because, yeah, Chris, we're in middle of June. Uh, you know, it, it's got to happen soon. Uh, I think it's more of a situation of he's going to have a plan and they're going to want to move on it quick. So, yeah, I think we're going to get an answer on that sooner rather than later. Not Not necessarily the name, but which direction he wants to go. I would anticipate like a news conference or a Zoom with uh, Baker. If, you know, we already have the one thing down here, that's one domino. Well, other dominoes fall too. And the way he addressed the women's basketball vacancy, news conference, let's talk about it. I think they're going to have to do something to just just have the conversation about Bob Huggins and, and what they did and why, but also what they expect across the board in their athletic department right now. And then certainly some questions, some answers about how he will um, proceed here too. A lot to cover, a lot covered here. Surreal, Chris. I just, I mean, <laughs> I just, I didn't think we were going to be in a situation like this so soon, um, if not at all. And here we are. And um, it, it seems weird to me that it's, it's kind of like the one book end of the story. And a lot of people are going to be more interested in what comes between that and the next book end, which means, you know, I don't know, head coach, um, roster the fate of the 23 season, 24 season. I don't know. Um, a whole lot in between those bookends right now. And it's, it's really just beginning, huh? Yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to say we've all prepared ourselves for life post Huggins, but we knew it was coming eventually and, and, and sooner rather than much, much later. But even this was a little, a little more expedited than, than some of us imagined. So, but 
a lot more to come on the site in the coming days for sure. As mentioned previously, once or twice, now three times here, hot board up initial installment. I will update and curate this. Chris will be on this too. As we hear more people in people out ideas, Never mind names to consider here. We've talked about different possibilities as far as just the profile of a coach. Never mind the name of a coach. The initial one's out kind of broad. Uh, still learning a lot about this. It's still early. As we get further down the road, we will be able to see the end better and give you a more clear idea of things. Check it out if and when you get a chance. Running a VIP special for you if you want to get in. Did not see this coming. Might want to see in the future as we get closer to the end here about what's going to happen, who's coming down the road, what is West Virginia thinking, how will they operate. Try to get you covered as best as we can. Until then, I am Mike Assassin. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you next time. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 